Hello everyone, J.D. Hansel here, and have we got a show for you. So, timing is a very important thing when you're doing a podcast like this one that covers recent events, and I think this show really should have been timed such that it was recorded after D23, but as it is... This conversation was recorded before D23, and you know, I have some sources. I have, I, I sometimes get a little heads up about things that are about to happen. I did not get any heads up about what was going to go down to D23, so this conversation doesn't talk about that, and this conversation doesn't talk about the new Dark Crystal series on Netflix, Age of Resistance. Uh, or at least it doesn't talk about it knowingly. I, I believe we talk about the trailer a little bit near the end. But for the most part, this conversation is just me and Steve catching up. That's all. And some people really like those shows. And if you're one of those people, you're going to love this. It's really just chatting about the movies and TV shows we've been watching lately and other things we've been up to. And that's all, which some people really like. But for what it's worth, we do eventually get to interesting Muppet topics like my thoughts on Follow That Bird, which I watched just recently for the first time in many, many, many years, and I might get in some trouble for what I have to say about it. This'll be fun. All right, so just to recap, don't expect new stuff until a new episode. Expect fun stuff in this. If you like those episodes in which it's just Steve and me just talking, we will do a show about the new news and the new things that are happening soon. I just have to get the script cleared with Joe the Legal Weasel, and that's been, uh, well, that might take a while. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to Muppet Fans Talking. Join us as Jim Henson fans from around the globe come together with commentary on the news and productions of the Jim Henson Company, Sesame Workshop, Muppet Studio, and beyond. Now, here's your host, or at least he's one of them, J.G. Hansel. Does your microphone do that thing where every now and again, for whatever reason, especially if the battery dies, it resets the date to the year, to the manufacturing year? Because that happens to me a lot. Really? Like every wow. now and again, my microphone, yeah, I think right now all of my files save um, from 2007. That's where it says the oh, that's file fun. was created. When that I create a, them now. That's a good year. That's a good year. <laughs> Let's see. What do I remember from 2007? Um, you remember the Muppet Cast episode one came out. Oh, that was 2007. Mm-hmm. Why wow. do you think that the uh, manufacturer decided to default to that year? Ah, I see. Because my microphone came out the same year as your microphone, which came right. out the same year as your podcast. Right. Wow. In other words, the manufacturer of the Zoom microphone is such a big fan of your podcast that he made sure that it resets to the anniversary of your show. Exactly. April 11th, 2007. Yes, yes. I, I think I have a few April 11, 2007s somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. 
Um, let's see. What else should we get out of the way? Uh, happy 50th anniversary to the Haunted Mansion. We should say that. Yeah, I hope to get over there. Um, oh, gosh. Actually, I was thinking about this weekend, but we can't go this weekend because Stephanie and I are going to the Magic Castle, which is even cooler in a sense. Uh, what's that? That is, uh, well, number one, it's a castle. Um, cool. Number two, magicians live there. Um, okay. And... It's like a, a restaurant. Uh, it's like a show restaurant thing where like you walk through and every room has different magicians doing shows and there's a bar and there's food and you can only get in if you are a member or are invited by a member. So oh. this is like where Penn and Teller will go and sometimes eat and sometimes perform in a small intimate venue like all kinds of people whether they're aspiring mag- magicians or world famous magicians like this is this is Hogwarts for magicians. Well, wouldn't Hogwarts be Hogwarts for magicians? Well, yeah, but that's in England, you see. This oh. Is, yeah. Okay. This is L.A., baby. I see. Wow. Think about that. Harry Potter set in L.A. would be a pretty different franchise, wouldn't it? Well, it, there is a universal in uh, Hollywood, and apparently there's a Harry Potter world, although I haven't been there. I've been to the one there. in Florida, but I, I have not been to the one in California. What's the Harry Potter world in Florida like? Any good? It's just the first half. It's just Hogsmeade Village. It's not Diagon Alley also. In Florida? No, no, no. Florida has both Hogsmeade and right. Diagon Alley. Yes, yes. Hollywood uh, just has Hogsmeade. Because there's no room for Because there's a no theme room. Park. In L.A. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you want to see other Harry Potter stuff, you have to go on the studio tour, which is, of course, not part of the Universal studio no, tour. No, you have to go to the Warner Brothers studio tour. <laughs> to see the rest of the Harry Potter stuff. Yes. Exactly, yes. Yes. Wow, it's organized so well. How come Warner has never had its own theme park in the U.S.? Um, I don't know. I, I think they're just more focused on making the movies. Uh, and, of course, now they have the merger with AT&T, so they have that going for them. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting, because I know in Australia... Um, oh, someone's ears are burning. Uh, I know in ah. Australia, they do have a... I think it's the only movie-themed theme park in Australia is a Warner Brothers one. That's now their that's interesting. universal-type theme park. Ah. So that's where Warner has one. But I think it might have something to do with the fact that Warner licensed the Looney Tunes characters to Six Flags. So if Warner tried to have their own movie-themed theme park, they could not have their Mickey Mouse. And they've already licensed so much to um, Universal, yeah, uh, to to the parks there. And uh, maybe they licensed a little bit to Disney, but it's hard for me to think of anything Warner's ever licensed to Disney. Well, like you said, like, like you saw on the tour, Warner just lets anyone record and film at their... You know, on their premises. So there's so much that's been made at Warner that's owned by Disney or Universal or Sony or whoever else. You know, even though all of those guys also have their own studios, Warner seems to have, I don't know, maybe more real estate, maybe more um, diverse sets, more sound stages. I don't know, but it seems like an awful lot gets made at Warner. Yeah, and I know it, they try to focus when you're on the tour on just the stuff 
that Warner owns that was made at Warner, which isn't a ton of stuff that we know. No. Um, Excuse you. But yeah, like in some cases, it's like a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, not originally produced by Warner Brothers. But now that Warner Brothers owns it, and because it was made at the Warner lot, they act like it's their movie. Like this is the Warner Brothers movie that you're coming to see when you go on the tour. They really, you know, they, they play into that. Uh, when you go to the Warner Brothers studio tour, which I think is interesting. And also, the 2011 Muppet movie shot plenty on the Warner lot for like yes, a happy did. song. Yes, they did. My friend which... Drew Haidisha, uh, who works for Disney, actually got to see some of the soundstage, I guess, when they were filming over there. Hmm. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Because the, the last I'd heard, I think from you, we knew that they had shot some stuff on the Universal lot for the 2011 Muppet movie. Um, like at a house or something. Yeah, but it yeah. was like I remember being on the Warner lot. Like, did they shoot stuff for Life's a Happy Song here? And I don't they think did, we were actually. sure. They did. There was one I don't think house. We were sure at the time, but now I can tell yeah. that the whole climax of Life's a Happy Song, the whole dance number, the school, all that stuff is in the Warner lot. It's in the Warner. It's like one of those abandoned neighborhoods, right? No, that they do most of Life's a Happy Song right in the uh, Stars Hollow Gilmore Girls set and put the tent where the gazebo is supposed to be. No, 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 but what I'm saying is it's it's uh, the the Warner lot has entire neighborhoods of houses that are empty, but they're they all do have that. fronts of homes and every yeah. every side of the house is a front of a house so you can shoot it from any angle, but there's entire neighborhoods of houses that they can use for various purposes there. Yeah. And then in some cases, they it, people who are filming there, in order to save money, because they don't want to have to pay to use all of the houses on the lot, they'll use the same house for different characters on the show, but shoot it from different angles and use different wallpaper. So I, I do happen to know that on the show Gilmore Girls, the interior of the main house on the show, if you go to a different part of it, is also the interior of other characters' houses. And yeah. you would have never guessed it. Just yeah, because of the exactly. strange way yeah. the houses were built, so yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. That, that's that's a terrible show, by the way, too. But anyways, hey now, hey now, it's, it's a critically acclaimed, well-written show. Gilmore Girls, are we talking it about the mean same it's show? Good. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's like you're watching the show in fast-forward mode. I can't handle it. Well. I am used to watching old movies where the characters talk fast, and I also, in my head. You know, I process things very quickly, and I, I feel like in my head I'm always talking fast. In my head, I'm actually talking much faster than I can talk in reality, which is why I'm always stumbling over my words. Sure, But yes, of it's a very, very fast-paced, quick show uh, that it, it's not for the feeble-minded, or, or is that the right expression? It's not for... Basically, it's not for people who have old brains, Steve. So I can understand why you don't like it. If you're, if you're, uh, if you know, look, not everybody is smart enough to keep up. It's no, a that's true. That's show. true. Yes. Um, but yes, and then of course the the latest show from the same creator, the uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel, is possibly the best show I've seen on television. Oh my God! Right? It, have let's, you seen that show? Let's talk about Mrs. Maisel. Oh yes, I love that so much. Yeah, shut up. Um, no, it's really good. Okay, you, you're the one that got me on this, and now you don't want to... You, you wait, think it's not are, good. I'm sorry. Are you serious? You actually have watched the show? Yes, I have, and I love it. You're joking. No, I'm not joking. How could I be joking? It's a great show. Tell me anything about it. 
Uh, okay, one of the uh, one of my favorite characters is actually Lenny Bruce because he's a representation of an actual comedian, even though historically he wasn't exactly uh, he didn't exactly have the story that they portrayed in the show, but. He was one of the, uh, I don't know, not necessarily an outlaw comedian, but you couldn't say a lot of things on television that he wound up saying on television. And so he was kind of the inspiration for people like George Carlin and and Richard Pryor and some of those other people that came along uh, afterwards. But no, the comedy writing is great. The, the, the characters are wonderful. The actors are fantastic. I, I think season two was a little less good than season one, but that's still, I mean, season two was an A minus. So anyone, if we're actually recording right now, which I am, I don't know if you are, but anyone who happens to be listening to this, please do yourself a favor and go watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Okay, you were actually serious. Wow. I was yes, actually it, serious. It, it, it's just, it's very similar to Gilmore Girls in some respects, which is why I'm surprised. No, but it's yes. nothing at all like Gilmore Girls. This is actually a good show. They're very similar shows. The writing style carries over quite nicely. I don't um, know about that. But uh, although this show is a lot dirtier and more profane and edgier and not for the little ones. Um, well, there's boobs for for, for one. <laughs> yeah, episode one. Yeah. Like that, I mean, it's a very striking moment in the show. Like, but that's the only boobs. It's weird. You start out with boobs and But that's and it then, for the whole series. That's it. That's all the boobs you get. Well, I mean, you know, that uh, that's how they get you. That's how it they how get you. Mo- you know, okay, let's talk about this. Most shows that are on like HBO or some kind of cable, episode one, there's usually boobs, aren't there? I mean, I guess hook, I'm trying to think. They like, hook the, the, you the, with the, the boobs. They hook you with the boobs. I mean, I'm trying. Uh, what it comes to mind for me is uh, Westworld, but that just has nudity abound throughout the entire Everywhere. show. Everywhere. Like, every single episode, it's like, well, we need to have a conversation with the robot, so just to be on the safe side, let's strip down the robot for let's no reason. Let's have it be naked. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. that That has nothing to do with anything they're doing. So it's right just... now, right now, Stephanie and I are watching through Game of Thrones because she hasn't ever seen any of it, and I've Neither seen everything. Neither have I, actually. Well, I haven't seen the final episode. I've seen everything else. So I told her, well, I will refrain from watching the final episode until we watch it together and we just got into season seven last night so um hoping that we're going to get to the end of it pretty soon but then westworld is next and i can't wait to go back to westworld because season three i think is coming out uh next year yeah next year hmm I really enjoyed season one of westworld i thought it was great and had a great finale then i got into season two and i kind of got bored with it it so, went a little off the rails. It got a little different. Um, I am really curious as to what they're going to do for season three. It seems like we're getting farther and farther away from the original premise, which I guess how long can you stay in the original premise? But I don't know. I'm going to be there. We're going to see. I am done with Walking Dead, though. I will not be watching the new season of Walking Dead. I'm officially done. They have uh, bamboozled me once too many times now. They made a bad Spike Lee movie out of you? They did. Yes, they made a very bad Spike Lee movie out of me. Huh. I told them to do the right thing, and they didn't do it. (laughs) Um, Thank you. Uh, Let's see. Oh, I have finally seen Stranger Things. (gasps) Oh, good. What do you think? Let's talk about Stranger Things. Okay, so just over the past month... Your mic's on, right? We can use all this? Oh, we're, we're... 
totally on right now, yes. I, I don't know where any of this is going, and I don't know who would want to listen to it, but someone That's will. That's okay. I'm, having, I'm enjoying this. I'm having a good time. We haven't done some... a podcast where we've just dropped the veneer and been us in quite some time. So I know. I think anyone, yeah, this is this is fun. It. Okay, so just to, for for one very very brief second. So hi everyone, how you doing? JD and I talked on the phone uh, a couple weeks ago when I was in Miami and JD was well in Maryland, and we decided you know we haven't done a conversation where it's just us on mic being JD and Steve. Uh, I haven't done anything in podcasting for a long time, and I'm kind of thinking about getting back into it. So not the Muppet Cast, not even uh, hijacking JD's show. I really don't know what yet, but uh, you just got so many people's hopes so high, and then brought them so low in record time too. Isn't that amazing? I was, I was. Didn't you like how well quickly done. that happened? That was great. It was great. But no, um, so we just decided we're gonna we're just gonna have fun on Mike. Um, Whenever we happen to talk on the phone and we're not on mic, we wind up talking like we're on mic. So we figured, why not just turn the mics on and uh, see what happens? So, okay, anyways, and, let's no, talk about... No, I think about... we're a lot funnier on the phone. Like, oh, there's we're no hilarious pressure on, on the phone. phone. It's oh, great, my right. gosh. We're great on the phone. And then we get on mic and it's like, so what are we going to talk about today, Steve? Oh, my and gosh. And we just can't think of... It's a nightmare. I'm, I'm just a lot more comfortable on... How long have I been podcasting that a I'm still time. more comfortable talking with you privately on the phone than I am with the microphone on? Once the microphone is on, it's like the, the Zoom has like this little red dot on it. This it does. little this red light red that's dot. an eye. It it's watching you are me. on. And it's... I, I don't like it. I don't like it in part because I'm sure there's a hidden camera in there and I'm being watched from, you know, some foreign government that's selling our data to Amazon that's selling it back to another foreign government or something like that. But also because I feel like, you know, when I'm being watched, it's harder for me to be myself and just say what comes to mind. And it's hard for me to think of funny things because I have to use so much more uh, energy and effort and concentration just to think about what I'm trying to say. Um and and so yeah, like right now, like I can't think of what to say next, and that makes okay, it a lot harder go back, to be Okay, go funny. back to Stranger Things. Go back. To go back to Stranger Things. things. Go back yes. to Stranger Things. So when I say I've finally seen Stranger Things, I mean I finally started watching the show. Like I finally saw episode one, season one. Okay, so you haven't really you haven't watched all of season one yet. And I also mean I kept watching it over like the course of two weeks until I got to the end of season three. Okay, good, good, good. All right. So, so I saw the whole shebang in a very short period of time. So you didn't really get to grow up with these kids. No, I didn't. Sorry. Yeah. Well, first of all, you have no real point of reference on this show because you didn't grow up in the 80s like I did. Everything actually looked like that when I was a child, JD. It's weird. Everything was wood paneling and the fonts were all different. And we all sat around playing Dungeons and Dragons and... Watching the last unicorn and the last starfighter and the Hobbit, the the funny animated version and the never ending story, all those things were like brand new. That was like the height of entertainment. Even the Dark Crystal, actually no, not the Dark Crystal. That's terrible. But Labyrinth, Labyrinth was out and it was really good too. The eighties were were weirdly kind of awesome. Right, which has always been my perspective. I always feel like it, I dodged a bullet by missing the sixties because that was a bit. That was a yeah. that was strong. That's that's. You know, well, you got to have a lot of strength to make it through the 60s. That was a big, a by the, loud but, time. But, but, you, but you and I both dodged a bullet by by dodging the 70s. I'm also yes. watching a series called The Deuce on HBO. And, man, you and I dodged a big bullet by missing the 70s. 
I'm uh, sure. But the but the I 80s. But I missed the. I feel like I missed the 80s. I yeah. really. It was poor planning on my part. I it meant really to be there, but I don't know. I think I there there was nothing I could do. I couldn't arrange it, and I, I feel bad about it. Um, you would have been a big I mean, hit in the eighties. You would have been a I, big hit in the eighties. I know. Look, I've tried to make up for it. I've spent so many hours solving so many Rubik's cubes, but I sure. still can't get myself there. You know, that's I mean, so that's sad. why I listen to eighties music because I really try to get myself in the mindset. You do I'm, love eighties you know, music way more than I do. It's true. That is that is a true fact. That's part of why yes. I'm surprised that you like this show because you never seem to be all that into the music of the '80s. I don't know what your tastes were. Well, you like some that, kind of weird rock music, uh, but that awful synth pop is just awful. I enjoy the way that a synthesizer can create an atmosphere, um, and I also really like how '80s music production. Uh, it's how do I put this? It has a large scope to it. So that there's a large focus on sounds that get the low tones and get the high tones. They'll have something like, you know, a a very, very high synthesizer getting the top part of the frequency band or whatever you want to call it, the the higher end of the spectrum, and then also some synthesizer or bass that's filling in the low part. And then a lot of the middle is just sort of a playground. It's not as tight as 70s production where it only goes so high no. and so low. No, you've got the full scope here, and it makes this very big sound that the voice, which usually has a r- lot of reverb on it, just cuts right through. And I do think that that works really well uh, for cinematic purposes. And so as a sure, filmmaker, sure. I lean towards 80s music in part because it is typically cinematic. Um, I can, do think Can I that tell you sh- something that you actually would love then? So okay. do you have uh, do you have an iPhone or an Android phone? I have an iPhone right now. Okay, good. So you will appreciate this. So on your phone is an app called GarageBand. And I've heard I love GarageBand as a musician because I just can uh, you know punch in little musical ideas that I have and come back to them and not forget them. Um, and maybe someday I'll make songs out of them or bigger recordings or whatever, you know, but it's it's a nice little multi-track musical environment and they have a lot of really great synth sounds and some of them are even like labeled as 80s synth bass which jd you're gonna have a ball with you can go in and make your own little theme songs you can make a new theme song to this you shouldn't because i made a really really good one you'll never make a better one than that but you can make some some of your own music and it's really really cool and uh you can make perfectly 80s sounding stuff it's awesome I have played around with it a little bit, but I haven't had a lot of time to really dive in deep. But eventually, I noticed the synth packs. I do intend to play with them fully. My problem is I have virtually no musical talent, which is to say that I can't That process. hasn't stopped many, many people, though. That I hasn't know. stopped anyone. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it hasn't stopped me. I think I can write well. I can write songs. I can come up with a good melody. I can come up with good harmonies. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. sometimes, at my best, I can sing well. At my best, I, I have been known to do some decent singing. You know singing. what's funny? Um, yes, uh, go ahead. I, 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 you, you do have a good singing voice. You actually have a better singing voice than I do when it comes to characters. And I was reminded of that today when I was going through my Gmail and uh, trying to prune some of the, the space for my Google Drive, hmm. uh, which also means you have to uh, delete some old Gmail attachments. And one of the ones that I kept 
was the season two song, the I Believe in Season Two, as you were singing it as Kermit the Frog. And I think we might have made some people mad with that song, but you did a very, very good job on that song. Thank you. I always felt we needed to do follow-ups to that of some sort. Not not about the same subject, but just I wonder if other... we should... Uh, in- should we include that song here in the podcast? No, people have heard it enough. We reference okay, it fine. all okay, the dang time, it. even though uh, it's from right, many right. years ago, from another series we were doing. People will figure it out. I think it might still be anyone on like, SoundCloud. You know, anyone who's still interested in listening to this conversation probably knows what we're talking about. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Those of you true believers out there... Um, you you know what we're talking about. Hi, Chris Harris. How you doing? Hi. Bye. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you're here. Uh, you're the only one, so pull up a chair. So, n- so now wait, that sorry, we're... For, for the rest of the show... Yes. We are not referring to the audience as you guys or you listeners or anything like that. We're just specifically referring to Chris. Deal? <laughs> okay. We'll just talk to Chris. Okay. Okay. So... Um, I, I know that we're kind of trying to warm each other up here and trying to figure out exactly what we're going to do for this show. Um, and I have an amazing idea. Okay. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Okay. Okay. Um, because we've done we've done some pretty ambitious podcast projects in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think I know what we're going to do for our next big podcast special. I've given this a lot of thought. Oh, boy. And all right. So just... I'm going I'm to pitch you this idea. This is mm-hmm. going to take a lot of work, like the uh-huh. Christmas special did, but uh-huh. I, I think this is going to be good. So uh-huh. imagine, if you will, that in, in the course of the story, that you, me, and Jared are riding our bikes home one night, and there's this big electrical storm, okay? And a lightning strike hmm. causes all the lights in the entire world to go out, and a car hits you, JD. And when you wake up in the hospital, the three of us are in a parallel world where Jim Henson never invented the Muppets. So we we find ourselves in a world where people didn't grow up watching Sesame Street. Elmo doesn't exist. David Bowie is just a famous rock singer. And Pixar never made Toy Story because they had no Jim Henson Christmas special to steal the idea from. But we don't realize any of that yet. All right, so one morning you, JD, are talking about I don't know, Star Trek or film theory or whatever with your mom over pancakes. And you mentioned something about Fraggle Rock. And Marnie, she's like, wait a minute, JD, what's Fraggle Rock? And you can't believe that your mom is acting like she doesn't know what Fraggle Rock is. So you're like, uh, you know, from Jim Henson, you know, the Muppets. And since this is a parallel world where the Muppets never existed, she's like, you mean like puppets, like a puppet show? And then you realize what's happened. And you call up Jared and me and you're like, guys, we have to bring the work of Jim Henson into this world because people need the Muppets. They need Sesame Street. They need the Muppet Show. They need the Dark Crystal. And we're like, seriously, JD, the world needs the Dark Crystal. And you're like, nah, I was just kidding about that one. The world is actually a lot better off without the Dark Crystal. But anyway, we all start making Muppet puppet shows and start creating like Salmon Friends and the Muppet Show and Sesame Street and stuff on our own YouTube channel. And naturally, it becomes a worldwide phenomenon. Come on. Nope. Not going to do it. And we all get instantly rich and famous, and everyone's like, whoa, JD, where did you get these amazing ideas from? You're like the most creative person in all of history. And we try to sing Menomina, but Ed Sheeran comes along and says, we shouldn't sing Menomina because that doesn't make any sense. Instead, we should sing Bado Bado. 
and everyone else think that's a good idea too because none of them grew up watching Sesame Street, so everyone is dumb. Right. And then right. there's okay, one scene. Then there's one scene where we actually look up Jim Henson and we go see him. And he's just this nice, sweet, hippie guy who lives in a lighthouse in Maine. But he never met Frank Oz, who, strangely enough, is the most famous director on the planet because he never had the stigma of being a puppeteer holding him back mm. from the world truly accepting his genius. Right. So they never started making puppets together. And in fact, Jim was discouraged at an early age from trying to get into television. And after being rejected at an audition in his early teens, instead, he, instead of becoming a creative genius... He just lives in this lighthouse, and he has a cooking blog. A cooking blog! Can you even freaking believe it? All right. That's anyway, crazy. so the pressure I hate of when this, that happens. The, the the pressure of this being famous is really getting to each of us. All right, yeah. like we all start to argue and fight all the time, and and not enjoying the spoils of the standard rich and famous contract that we all signed. When from out of nowhere comes this one college kid, this really kind of sappy sweet guy who sort of emerges from the shadows from the back of the set one day and he's like i was also thrown into this parallel world years and years ago and i've missed the muppets so much and i just wanted to say thank you guys for bringing him into this world too jd you're so amazing i'm your biggest fan and see that's where actually cw rotor that's how he's part of this podcast special too ah, but, i was waiting but the whole thing wraps up really nicely when we all decide that we've actually done enough and we've remade every Muppet TV show and movies except Muppets Most Wanted because that was awful. And at the end of it, we all sing just one person. Doesn't wow. that sound amazing? Wow. Yeah, that's great. But but Steve. Yeah? They already made that movie. It's called Across the Universe. Uh, across the... I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Hold on, let me check IMDb. Across the... JD, I don't know. My, my IMDb says that Across the Universe is not a movie that's ever existed. Ever in the world. Wait a minute. Did I cross over into an alternate dimension where Across the Universe was never made? You might have. Yes! Oh, hallelujah! Wow! Oh, so many Beatles songs saved. That's wonderful. Thank you, and Steve. Scene. Thank yep, you. You're welcome. Yep, yep. Uh, I've been holding on to that punchline all day, so thank you very much. Not the one you wanted, but the one you deserved. Yeah, uh, exactly. It is the one I deserved. You're right. So uh, I still think that'd be a funny idea. Uh, yeah, that could be kind of funny. That could mm -hmm. be kind of funny. We'll call it being yeah. green. So, um, yeah, Stranger Things is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um, really, it's 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 a it's uh, mm. it's a well crafted story, isn't it? It's it it's definitely starts it's, as a well crafted story. It's it okay. I mean, it's it's derivative of a lot of '80s movie kind of tropes, but and I, I like think that's that. sort of the yeah. It, that's the point. Is that okay? There are so many remakes and reboots and sequels, and it's like Hollywood is out of ideas. I've complained about this for years now. And along comes a show called Stranger Things, which tells a kind of original story, but it's also sort of poking fun in itself, or at least being very, uh, it's definitely self acknowledging that it's borrowing from everything that we grew up with watching from these 80s movies. Right. Like it's just saying, Hey, remember all that stuff you liked? Well, here it all is, 
and we actually mean it. We're not trying to fool you into thinking that it's a new idea or that you should just like it because I don't know now that there now there's girls involved or something. You know, this is just a great new project. It's a really good story. Great characters. Those kids are amazing actors, and it's just fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. The cast is amazing. Like, this is one of the best casts I've ever seen on any TV show, especially considering how young they are. It's, and you've seen all the the uh, behind Stranger Things stuff, too, right? Uh, yeah, Netflix, they only did, like, the one season, right? Season yeah, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw, uh, at least I've seen most of that. Yeah. Um, I thought that was nice. Yes, that was very good. It's an impressive bunch of people. I'm impressed with it. I'm impressed with the writing. The characters are good. Uh, but I do get annoyed because... It's just, you know, in in that Star Wars movie when they're talking about how there's another Death Star and Han Solo's like, so they just built a bigger one. And they're kind of showing their hand there that they're just doing the same thing over and over, but trying to act like it's on a bigger scale. I do feel like Stranger Things does that. By the time you get to the third season... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the time you get to the third season, I'm like, whatever the monster's plans are, I don't care. Whatever you're doing with the Upside Down or the Demogorgons, I don't care. Yeah. I'm just interested in the characters and their dynamics, which makes, you know, the the show has a lot of pull in the third season because the character dynamics are are so different and so interesting and the characters are older and they're growing apart and they're exploring other sides of themselves. Um, But it's very frustrating because uh, I just feel like they really establish in seasons one and two certain rules for the character dynamics that they don't necessarily follow through. Like, I see Eleven in seasons one and two as being, you know, very dedicated to her guy. And she completely sees Max, at first, as a threat. Max doesn't even do anything. There's no flirting. There's nothing. But Eleven just sees another female in the presence of her guy, and she loses it. And then... Between seasons two and three, you're like, it's nice that she and Max have become friends. I like that. But the fact that she entirely sees things from Max's perspective and does not get the perspective of her boyfriend at all at that point, that was like, where did this come from? Like, she's not even giving him a chance there. Okay, so Stranger Things is a great show. Here's why I hate it. Okay. Because they... They employ this one writing trick of so many things could just be resolved if the character would just say something. Thank you. And nope, she's just going to look. She's just going to look at you and stare at you. And you're like, just say it. And they won't so that we can move the show on and have another episode. But if that character spoke and said what they were feeling or what they were thinking or what they noticed, um, so many things would just be better. And yeah. I, and you know what? That's lazy writing. I hate to say it, but and you're more of a film person than I am, so you're more able to diagnose that, but that's just laziness in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I think so. And it's that's, frustrating that's because it's bad for the characters. That's the one big offense of Stranger right. Things. And they can get away with it in season one really well. Be- it works there because you get the idea that all of them think if the other people knew what they knew, or if the other people heard them say what they have to say, they think, no, that's crazy. That Russians, monsters, another world, a, a girl with special magic powers? No, that's nuts. And so there... 
you understand the secrecy. You understand how the different groups, the the three uh, sort of levels that they have, are kind of keeping yeah. things to themselves. And yeah, yeah, you, so yeah. finally, when they all come together at the end and all the information is on the table, it's very satisfying. Once you get to season two, especially season three, but even in season uh, two, yeah. you're like, okay, it's episode three and you all haven't talked to each other yet. Right. How in the world is there not some rule that all of the people involved in this have that whenever they see signs that something related to the Upside Down is coming up, they all talk to each other because well, that's yeah. the intelligent thing to do. Or like the, the kids, or like Will's mom, who's like, yeah. oh, I forget her name. But like, she's like shaking Will, like, tell me what's wrong. And he's just looking at her like, talk, you little shit. Jeez, come <laughs> on. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I, I like the idea that one of the ways that the show works with nostalgia uh, very carefully is they kind of meet you where you are and say, no matter what age range you are now or you were in the 1980s, we probably have characters who sort of match your experience. If oh, you were, yeah. If yeah. you were a teenager in the 80s, we gotcha. If you were a kid in the 80s, we gotcha. If you're a teenager now or a kid now, you might be into this too. And if you're an adult or a parent, especially now or were, then there's that level. So it's playing with all these different levels that all tie together. And each one yep. sort of belongs to a different 80s genre with, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. The, all the stuff that the kids are doing is primarily Goonies, but also E.T. and Stand By Me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And yeah. then, of course, the, the teenage stuff um, just feels like, you know, teenage movies of the 80s. Yes, uh, and then it's it's a little bit harder to pinpoint what exactly they're going for with the adults, but it still works. And I don't know, it feels a little bit David Lynch to me, which I like. Um, oh, that that's definitely true. It's definitely true. A little bit yeah. like um, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Blue Velvet, great movie. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, that yeah. one's mostly teenagers too, I guess. Right? Yeah. 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 It's like a teenager who gets caught up with all these much older, weirder people. Um, yeah. And I guess here's the, here's the thing that disappointed me when I got to season two. The show okay. is called Stranger Things. It's not called Stranger Thing, which is to say <laughs> that it doesn't always have to be about the Upside Down or the Demogorgon, really. Like, it would be a far more interesting show if season one is about the Upside Down and the Demogorgon and maybe some of the stuff related to the, you know telepathy and stuff season two they can keep exploring the telepathy and its or origins and all that and figure out some of that as like a side thing but the main thing should be something else they should have some other strange incident that occurs in the town of hawkins perhaps unrelated perhaps not maybe you don't find out that it's related until the end of the season so mm. that we can take a break from the upside down and build another layer to the mythology so that the show has somewhere else to go and something else to say. And it's not just, here's the same thing as last season, but bigger, Wait. which is a yes. trope. Yes, but, yes, but at least it's not about zombies. This it's not about true. vampires or zombies or any of the other stuff than horror that's really big right now. At least they created their own kind of little thing. Yes, it's derivative of a lot of other archetypical kind of things. But they have, they, they at least constructed their own little world with their own little characters and some of their own little challenges. Instead of, and I actually saw this in a commercial on Sci-Fi this past weekend, Zombie Tidal Wave. There's Which a is what? Made, no. That's the name of a TV movie that's on sci-fi right now. Zombie Tidal Wave. There's a lifeguard that points at the ocean and goes, Dude, 
it's a zombie tsunami. And it's all zombies that are in the water, you see. And when that big old wave wa washes up on the shore, that's when all the zombies invade the beach. This isn't that, at least. It's some, it's, 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 it sucks, but at least it's a good show, is what I'm saying. Right. About Stranger Things. Stranger it's Things not is a zombie an, tsunami. Stranger Things may be an awful show, but at the very least, it's a great show. It, right, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying, yes. Hey, let's talk about sugar. Um, talk about sugar as in the substance? Oh, are you talking about how uh, I'm losing some weight now? Yes, that, that's what I'd like to, to, to touch on, yes. You are, have actually done some very good work recently. Uh, I have, yeah, I have. I don't, I don't know that I think of it that way. It's, I'm not sure how to put it. I, I think I'm down about 15 pounds from where I started just a few weeks ago. Good. Um, like like two weeks ago, which is kind of odd and surprising, and I, I didn't think that much could go that quickly. But yeah, it's nice. Uh, but it's 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 frustrating. It's disappointing. You know, like I mean, why I'm is not, it disappointing? Because I'm not doing this because I need to be skinny. What? Why should I be skinny? You're going to be happier. I don't want to be eligible for the draft. The whole point of being fat <laughs> is you're draft proof. That's the point. That's the whole point, huh? Should the day come, J.D. Hansel will be soundly rejected. Exactly. Who do they think I am? Captain America? No, I don't want to fight for my country. I can't do that. I would be terrible at this. Um, but no, really, I, 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 in all seriousness, I mean, that is a factor that I consider, is that I, I know that realistically, knowing my, my interests and my talents, I would never want to be confused for someone who is physically fit and able and has the potential to be athletic because that's not a part of who I am, nor has it ever been. Uh, well, what's but bad about being that, though? It's not who I am. It's okay. Th that's all that it is. It's, it's that okay. simple. It's okay that Good other enough. people are that way, but that's not who I am. Uh, right. But, you know, when I, when I started losing the weight, it wasn't you know, necessarily weight loss for the sake of weight loss, although that was part of it because I want to fit in my old pants and t-shirts again. You know, that like I can't, there had better not come a day when I can't fit into my Muppetational mosaic because that's the sure. best t-shirt. So I'm not going right. to let myself right. get to right. the point that I can't wear that. I've already mm -hmm. worn it out to death. I, I never wear it now. I have it sitting on a hanger in the closet waiting mm -hmm. for like that one day when the spirit of Jim Henson appears and I have to ready myself and be dressed appropriately. Like that's... Hold on, J JD, oh, yeah. one second. D don't listen for a second. Hey, Chris Harris, okay, here's what we're going to do. You and me are going to go in and buy JD a medium-sized, adult medium-sized Muppet t-shirt that's really, it's so irresistible that he's going to want to lose as much weight as he can so he can actually fit into an adult-sized medium so he can wear this t-shirt. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Okay. Hi, JD. Come on back. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Can I, can I start listening now? Can yes, you can start ears? listening okay. now. Yes, yes. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's part of it. But most of it was just I... I, I wanted to feel better. I wanted to not have so much stress exactly. and anxiety and depression all the time. Because I just, you know, I have a lot weighing me down. I mean, I'm just pretty much in a perpetual state of freaking out and losing my mind. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, getting getting closer and closer to to going off the edge here. Um, right, right, right. That's, that's just the nature of my being now that I don't we know where my life is going. offline, yes. Yes. And so for, for me... The point of cutting a lot of sugar and trying to lose a lot of weight and working out a lot and trying to get healthier was I was trying to get to a point that I had a, I was in a better state of mind 
and I keep waiting for that to happen, and I haven't seen any signs of it yet. And it's like, how much farther do I have to go? How much do I have to keep giving to this? How much? Because yes, the dieting is recent. The dieting only started a couple weeks ago, which right, is why right. the weight loss only started a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But the working out, the exercising very regularly, far more often than I'd like to, that I've been doing for a long time. Yeah, but you can't outrun your mouth. And I now you know that. No, I understand that. I'm not saying that I expected exercise alone even without changing my diet to help me lose the weight. But I've been waiting for, you know, the part where you actually kind of like exercise, where there's some release of endorphins, where exercise doesn't make me go, why am I doing this? I hate this. I'm in pain. I hate this. Kill me now. And I mm -hmm. haven't quite gotten to that point yet, even with all the exercising that I've done. I'm also likewise waiting for the point where, you know, it isn't painful to say no to sugar where it isn't a miserable experience to have to turn down a donut. Um, that's the part that I really wanted to get to, is that uh, despite your misery, I'm, actually, I'm very, very proud of you because I think you and I have had conversations for quite some years now where after I lost all the weight and figured out that it was, it was sugar that was holding me back and that, that's why I had all the weight on, and I've put a little bit back on too now, but... Um, that's also because you turn 40. When you turn 40, your metabolism goes on vacation permanently. But <laughs> apart from that, um, you know, we, we had talked about sugar and just about things that you would, you would eat. And I remember conversations where you fervently asserted that you would not give up soda, you would not give up this, that, or the other thing. All things that you have now given up. And I'm so happy that at least now those things aren't coursing through your veins and contributing to the conditions that you've mentioned, the the emotional, because what what you eat does affect your uh, your feelings. It affects your of outlook. Course. It affects everything in you. So maybe uh, you know a couple decades of doing that is still kind of getting out of you. It doesn't just happen in a few weeks. I don't know, but I'm I will say, I, and I've said it before, but I'm very proud of the progress that you're making. I think it's fantastic. I hope you keep it up because I think you will continue to feel better and better as you do it. Again, I got to tell you, I, I, I really don't like that kind of talk because I think it's missing the point. I know, I know, I know. I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think it's it's appropriate to say that this is what I should be doing. I mean, you, nor is it necessarily appropriate to be patting me on the back for doing it because the very fact that I have to do it is a matter of bad luck and the fact that I'm able to do it right now, whereas under different circumstances I wouldn't be able to do it, is a matter of good luck. And okay, so, but what circum under what circumstances wouldn't you be able to do this? I think it's, first of all, helpful that I do have resources and friends such as yourself who actually know that sugar is the problem here. Because, of course, the common sense, so to speak, the common knowledge that's out there, the common wisdom is the word I'm looking for, yeah. um, is that eating fat makes you fat, right? And there are all these diets that... You know, try to say wrong. you can the, all these diets will try to say, no, you can still eat lots of sugar. You just do it this way. You just do that. And of course, they're all missing the point. And so the very fact that I happen to, you know, know resources, know stuff online and know you and by extension, know that sugar is the root of all evil. That's to a large extent, good luck, because I could just as easily be like the vast majority of Americans who do not see sugar as the main problem. They know sugar's bad, but they don't think it's what's contributing to weight gain and fat and all that stuff. Um, it affects the so, same part of the brain that heroin does. Right, exactly. It's, it's addicting, yeah. and that's yeah. a problem. So that's a matter of good luck. 
Also, just the fact that I have access to a gym is a matter of good luck. Um, cause that's been very helpful. I mean, I know it's not the most helpful thing directly for the weight loss, but you know, I really believe that the main thing for me is just not giving my body a bunch of stuff that it doesn't know what to do with and what in terms of food. And I think what goes with that is you actually have to do something with your body. Um, I don't think that's the key to weight loss. Again, I don't believe you can outrun your mouth. But it certainly seems to be a very helpful part of the equation, especially if you're trying to help with the mood and stabilizing that stuff. Because there are some people who don't change their diets much. They just start exercising a lot more regularly, particularly running, and it helps them manage, you know, or, or biking, and it just helps them manage uh, their, their mood, their emotions, their psychology, and all that stuff. And I know people personally who've had that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yes, it's, it's, I'm, I'm lucky that I've had access to a gym and even a personal fitness trainer at that gym one who made some helpful suggestions about my diet. So that's that's a matter of luck. I'm lucky I'm lucky that I like a couple of foods that don't include sugar as well because like what? I I have extremely picky tastes and so the fact well, that Well, you there do. Are a I can attest of, to that. Yeah, extremely picky tastes. So the fact that I've found a couple of things that I'm willing to eat just about every day while I'm trying to get this weight down is kind of nice. So, okay, you know, but just, what what is that? Detail that. What what are you eating every day? Uh lots of uh nuts and seeds, particularly cashews. Um, which are a bit on the pricey side, but they're the, the most enjoyable of the nuts yeah. and seeds. And then lots of chicken and lots of fish. And I know people who don't like fish. I'm lucky that I happen to like fish. Um, I guess just about everybody likes chicken, but, I mean, there are some people who can't eat meat. I can. Um, I should be eating more vegetables. I do try to get some of that in there. Uh, but really, yeah. vegetables are not my strength. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of uh, chicken and eggs and fish and uh, seeds and nuts. If I, if I had a nut allergy, I have no idea how I would be doing this because having nuts is something to snack on as opposed to, um, you know, something else. Cracker Jack to snack on is <laughs> yeah. nifty. All right. Well, so you've, you've got options and you've got things that are working for you. But honestly, anyone in their own situation has their own challenges and their own benefits and their own things that work for them. So you have these things, these assets and these other challenges, and that's fine. Uh, you found a way to make it work for your situation. Are you lucky in some senses? Yes. Are you disadvantaged in others? Yes. But that's what being human is too, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, mean you've got to leg up you, on... That doesn't mean you take that out of the equation. No, it, it doesn't mean you take it out of the equation, but you at least... You're, uh, I, I hear you saying that you're... And tell me if I'm wrong, but I hear you saying that you're largely able to do this just because you're lucky. And I disagree with that. I think for a long time, you had the exact same advantages and disadvantages that you chose not to act on. Now, for whatever reason, you've made a choice and you're, you're doing things differently. You're making some progress. I know you're not losing as much weight as you want all the time, but we've talked about that offline too and how weight loss works. Um, but you are... Uh, and I know you don't want to be patted on the back, so fine. Screw you, JD. You're losing weight, but I am proud of you. There's the episode title. Screw you, JD, you're losing weight. Um, oh, <laughs> I tried so many lines and we finally got there. Okay, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's it's just that the, the other th reason why I don't want the pat on the back and the congratulations and the keep it up and keep up the good work and all that stuff is it implies that I'm doing something that I should be doing. And I just don't necessarily see it that way. Um, okay. I mean, this is something that... I'm doing right now while it's a good time, while I can, really while I have the time on my hands to do this, 
I mean, I'm in a place right now where I guess the main thing that I'm lucky is that my schedule's kind of up to me, so I can eat when I want to eat, and I'm not forced to eat at certain times rather than others. Um, yeah, I, I can take as much time as I want to cook the chicken or fish or whatever the way that I want to cook it. I can go to the gym whenever the gym is open and I have time. Uh, so I have a lot of flexibility here. Um, and so this just happened to be the right time when my schedule was open, when I was kind of in the mood to eat some chicken and eggs and fish, because I hadn't been eating a lot of that for a while, and I had been eating a lot of sugar, and so it felt nice to have a change. And so a lot of things with the timing just kind of came to the right point, where it's like, yeah, all right, let's do this to save some money on clothes, so I'm not buying, you know, more and more and more pants and stuff to try to fit in, because I just, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's, it's just about, really, I, I saw a need that I have right now that I didn't necessarily have before at other points when I was chubby. There were other points when I was very pudgy, but I wasn't going through clothes as fast because I wasn't gaining as quickly as I have been over the past year or two. And the fact that I was chubby was pretty much fine. It wasn't interfering with my life and my stress and anxiety and all that stuff uh, was pretty manageable through other means. And so it wasn't difficult. As it now stands, I've got a lot of stress and anxiety and, and bad feelings and bad moods, and I don't really take any medication for it. Uh, not for lack of trying, but for some uh, a lot of bad side effects yeah, um, yeah. pretty consistently over a long period of time. Right. And so quite simply being healthy was sort of the last drug uh, that I hadn't tried. And so uh, this is something that, you know, for me right now in this particular moment is a sensible thing to do and an easier thing to do than it had been previously. I mean, just a few months ago, it would have been very difficult for me to stop having donuts because I was really just in the mood to have a donut every single day, and indeed I did, hence how I was gaining so much weight so fast. Right, yeah. Um, but, you know, then it got to the point where it was like, you know what, I've had a lot of donuts. I could go for some chicken and fish. And it just it, it just kind of happened. And what well, a certain again, point, haven't you had enough donuts? I mean, you know what they taste like, right? I'm still eagerly awaiting the day when I have lost enough weight that I can eat donuts again, as long as I space them out a little bit more. And that um, day will come. Yeah, I know. I just need it to come soon. I'm desperate to have more donuts. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the most frustrating thing is I've. Well, I've how many weeks down... have you been good now? How many weeks in a row have you been good? It's it's tough to say because out of necessity, there have been a couple of cheat days over the past while, but it's been about two and a half weeks. Well, okay. All right. And, I mean, when, yeah. when it gets to about four or five, have a donut. Right, which is kind of the way that I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm kind of waiting until I've gone a month yeah. with as little sugar as possible. I've cut out the vast majority of bread. That's how serious I am about cutting out sugar. Um I mean, I know there's a lot of sugar in it, but it's just, it's not something that yep. I think of as a sweet yep. or as something that I need to cut out, but I'm cutting it out, at least, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. having probably only a couple slices of bread a week because it's it's a problem. It's a big part of the sugar intake. I had a cheeseburger, a bacon cheeseburger in a bowl ah, instead of on a bun. Right. Nice. Who does that? Like, J.D. You Hansel, could, that's who. You, you could tell... That when I gave that order, everybody at the Five Guys was like, did this guy come to the Five Guys thinking he was going to be healthy? Did you don't he go really to Five Guys to be healthy, but, but you made it work. You made it work. That's awesome. Did you get fries? Yes. Oh, well, okay. I mean, 
I'm no, you sorry, have to get their fries, and I, I understand that. I do get that. I yes. was in a Five Guys. It was sort of on a it, it was sort of on a cheat day because that was my my whole family. Did you did you at least get a small so they only whole... gave you a grocery bag full of fries? <laughs> um, I got the regular size, so I only got the bucket instead of the car. Oh, okay. The bu- yeah, the five gallon bucket. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it really I had is to weird think of, how many fries had, they give you at Five Guys. It's obscene. I had to I think mean, of something bigger than a bucket real fast, and somehow a car is what happened. <laughs> and now I'm just imagining them pulling up the car. That's uh, just <laughs> with you know what? Okay, hold on. Speaking of fries and a car, I just want this out here for public knowledge. <laughs> JD Hansel recently got a new car. Well, new to you. Yeah, I don't know what, what exactly did you get. Uh, it's it's a 2012, um, I don't know what kind of car it is. It's a nice new car, but I can't remember brand names. Okay, I know a, zero about cars. All right, he got a blue one. So it's his, black. His, oh, black. His, his new-to-him black uh, it's car. It's a black Nissan Rogue. That's what it is. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, so even when you get a used one, like they kind of put that new car smell back in the car when you drive it off the lot, right? So yeah. J.D. Hansel, that smell wasn't good enough for him. I hate so new car smell. I he hate wanted it so much it, it gives smell me a terrible headache. like his car. He wanted it, in fact, to smell like his old car. So, J.D., just, just tell everyone what you did to this new car that didn't do anything to you yet. What did you inflict upon this automobile? <laughs> Well, I wanted it. I wanted the car to smell like something that I liked, and I wanted something that would effectively get rid of the smell that was in there. And I thought, well, how does the smell usually wear out in cars? Well, it usually wears out because you know people do a lot of stuff in their cars. They eat a lot of fast food in their cars and stuff. Um, and eventually, after enough time, that kind of gets a lot of the old, nice new car uh, smell out of there, and gets a used car smell in there. And I thought, well, you know, there's really no smell that I like better than the smell of French fries. So I figured rather than getting an air freshener, because I don't like air fresheners, I would just get a thing of French fries and set it in my black car on a hot day so that the smell of the French fries would just spread throughout the car and change the smell of the car. So I left some McDonald's French fries in that car for a few days. And uh, Steve is really offended by it. I, I feel like I need to keep apologizing for the squeakiness of my chair. I switched chairs. No, you need to the... apologize for putting a box of fries in your car to stink it up. It smells better now. Oh, my God. I mean, it worked. Oh, that's Why are you booing me? I'm right. You're not right. You're not right. For someone who's trying to get healthy, well, okay, they're still pretty good fries. But that's beside the point. You know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've had more McDonald's than I should have over the past couple of weeks, but the weight is still going down, so, well, that's you know, good. I can't you complain. Still, you're in your 20s. You still have a metabolism. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, that's that was the other uh, ticking clock here is I got to do it now because yeah, someday you soon, you know, within the next few years, I will be in my late 20s. And at that point... I mean, I didn't lose it until in my mid-30s, but it was harder than if I would have done it in my 20s. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's frustrating for me because I know that, you know, if all I wanted to do was lose 10 to 15 pounds, done. That's a couple of weeks. That's sure, easy enough. Right. And that's, yeah. if you do it right, that's even enough time to, you know, build new habits and untrain your brain from the sugar addiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, problem is, given where I started, I'm looking to lose over 50 pounds. 
And that's a lot, and that takes a long time. And I'm going to run out of patience before I just want donuts. I mean, you're not going to run out of patience. You'll be donuts fine. are really great, and I'm dying to just eat pizza every week again. I could really eat pizza like once a day. Okay, if you had to choose between donuts and pizza, what would you choose? Oh gosh, why would you do that to me, Steve? I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. You know this podcast is over. I can't do Hold that. Hold on, no wait. These are very different flavor profiles. Which one do I you know. want? Donuts or pizza? <sighs> oh gosh. You can only have one for the entire next week. Not the rest of your life, just the next week. Oh, just the next week? Pizza. Right. Oh, okay. Then there you go. Okay. So pizza is marginally better because there's less sugar. You can put a lot of meat on it if you're like me. Um, what, what do you put on your pizza? Nothing. I don't like any food, Steve. We've oh, talked God, about this. I have right. very uh, limited tastes. Uh, look, I, I don't look. If a pizza okay, is a wait, good wait, wait. pizza, that, that can work. That can then work. The inherent pizzaness of it should be sufficient. That's fine. The one problem with pizza, though, when you think about it, though, is that pizza consists of three things: okay. dough, sauce, yeah. and cheese. Which, of course, boils down to bread, which is sugar, sauce, yeah. which is sugar, and sugar. dairy, which is sugar, or at least has a fair amount of sugar. Yeah, but cheese is marginally better. So at least you're not ruining it with a bunch of vegetables or, God forbid, pineapple on your pizza. So you got that going for you, which I is nice. I very rarely have pineapple on my pizza. This is true. That's good, because only terrible human beings like pineapple on their pizza. I mean, I like there a little bit every now and like again. That, that have pineapple on their pizza. But it's just not good. It's not a good choice. What did that pizza ever do to you? It is very weird. I will say that. I have to be in a very strange mood to say, you know what? We're going with the Hawaiian pizza today. I would not get pineapple on the pizza if it was not outnumbered by the amount of bacon on the pizza. It's very important to me that the meat overpowers the pineapple, but a little bit every now and again. So you're like, I'm eating pizza, I'm eating pizza. Whoa, what is this? I just went on a little tropical vacation there for a second. But then you come back in for a landing with familiar pizza flavors. That's the way it needs to work. If you hand me a slice of pizza that you've just covered in pineapples, I'm going to be like, get this away from me. What kind of right, monster of are you? This isn't pizza. What did, you, what did you just do to me? Yeah. Boy, Chris, aren't you glad we're uh, really taking a deep dive into the Muppets today? This is good. This is We've good. learned so feel? much about the Muppets. How do you feel about steak? Uh, it's fine. I like steak sometimes, but I'm not ever, into it the way that most people are. Have you ever had a really good steak? Probably not. Yeah, that's why you don't like steak all that much. Okay, okay. just curious about that. Um, yeah. All right. I mean, when's... I'm not rich, Steve. When are you moving to California? Uh, let's see. When I can afford so much as the bus ticket. Okay. All right, that's good. Um, why do you ask? I mean, you I'm know just it's curious. you you know it's hell on earth. Why do you want me to move to LA? It is terrible, but like we said, it's it's the worst place to be, but you also have to be here. Okay. Right. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And the more the, the longer I live in California, the longer those two very different phrases make sense together. <laughs> I will say, it's okay, fair. the last time you and I spoke on the phone, I was in Miami, Florida. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was about 85 degrees outside, and it felt like death. It felt horrible and awful, and it was humid and rainy. And hot, like you just walked outside and you just hated yourself. It was just, it was terrible. It was terrible. Then I got home. I came home to California 
and it was 85 degrees and there's no humidity and it was sunny and there's a little breeze in the air and it just, you know how it felt? It felt Fine. nice. Yeah. It felt nice. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly say California ruined the weather for me because when I was in California, it was like, wow, this 88 degree day sure is nice. And then I come yeah. back to not even a, not even Florida, not even a humid, swampy place like that, just freaking Maryland. And it's like, oh, no, 76 degrees. Oh, no. And <laughs> oh, I'm no, just no, sweating no. and sweating oh, no. and sweating all day. Yeah. And it's like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. It's, it's it weird. Like that out here. I know. Yeah. I will say. And yet, of course, the flip side to that is, of course, you just can't escape the sun in California, and I don't like no, the sun. No, that's true. That's you know, did true. you ever hear Brian Henson say that he thinks his worst enemy in life is the California sun? I didn't realize that. No, I thought it was yeah. critics, but aside from that... Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Woo! I thought it was his audience. This but, has uh... been another installment of JD might want to work at the Henson Company, but he can't. We kid because we kid because we love. We kid because we love. So that's just is that thinking, the one mention of the Muppets that we've made this entire show? I feel like we may have tossed something out there earlier. We can talk Muppets though because I just recently rewatched um, Follow That Bird for the first time in a million years. Oh my gosh! I had Why like did no you do memory. That? I had like no memory of what's in Follow That Bird. Did, but did I'm they like, re-release it or something? Or no. I just, it was like, I haven't seen it in such a long time. I wonder if it's a good movie. And I've been hearing people like Clayton talk it up as a really good movie. And I've had the DVD sitting on my shelf for like over a year, still in the plastic wrap. And I've been going through a bunch of the Muppet movies with a friend of mine who has not seen many of the Muppet movies. Like, I I showed him uh, the, you know, the 1979 Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan in order, of course. And I don't think he'd seen any of them before. So we I'm watched all of those. That too, yeah. And then once once we why do you keep putting yourself in that position? It's not your job to be a teacher, Steve. No, I'm just saying I'm I'm working on that with uh with Stephanie. That's what I mean. Why do you keep yeah. doing that? I think that any relationship in which your partner doesn't know Muppets is a toxic relationship that you just it's... can't allow to continue. <laughs> Well, I did play her our Christmas special, and she thought you did a very good job, J.D. Why, thank you. So, um, yeah. Or why thank her, I should say. Because um, I don't think you did a good job at all, but she thought you were pretty good. Well, good, good. Yeah. That's, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add a number name, uh, I'll add another name on the list of people who believe in me. And, mm-hmm. um, and all it takes is one. I know, all it takes is one. And now, I mean... I've got three, so right. why yeah. not four? Like, gosh, I, I'm almost at, at the point of having a whole foursome, believe in me, a whole a whole bunch, right? Four bananas makes yeah. a bunch. Yeah, yeah as yeah. we all learned from the Banana Splits show. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, but yes, I watched Follow That Bird again because it was kind of next in the Muppet movie series. We will not be counting Elmo and Grouchland as a Muppet movie, even no. though it arguably no. counts more than Follow That Bird because it was actually produced by the Jim Henson Company. But that is another story. Um, which you always forget about. I always forget. Once upon a time, you could actually occasionally catch Elmo and Grouchland on the Disney Channel. Wow, which is weird. Like it is that's weird. unsettling. But yeah, it's, it's then again, good. it's also it's also weird to see um, Big Bird and a weird animated Big Bird open up this movie by saying it's brought to you mm. by the letters W and B. 
Like, yeah. yeah this Sesame but, Street movie has been brought to you by Corporate Synergy. We okay, love Corporate Synergy. But, but no, it is odd. It's it's very odd to see them in a corporate space. But it's fine. I get it. It's kind of fun. It's an enjoyable bit. Can I ask um, you a question about the beginning of that movie also? Go ahead. So, y- yes, there's that, the, the WMB thing. But is it just weird or misplaced or somehow just odd that Oscar opens up the movie in this like weird patent-esque kind of opening with the grouch anthem and then we go into the movie like did we have to have that it's it, true if, it is if we watch the whole rest nothing. of the movie after that two and a half minutes would we have missed anything it it relates to absolutely nothing that no. scene has nothing to do with anything and i don't understand it i really think the the thinking was since most viewers of Sesame Street at that time in that year would have seen a lot of Oscar and, you know, there's not a ton of Oscar in the rest of the movie. They figure, hey, let's give you some Oscar right now. That w- I guess that was okay. my thinking. But then yeah. when you really watch the movie, there's actually more Oscar than you'd expect. It's a relatively Oscar heavy film. I guess that's true. Well, I mean, it's, it's Carol's I think they movie. Were, I think, right, it's Carol's movie. But I think they were trying to say... You came for Sesame Street, you came for fun, you came for something silly. Here's Oscar to open it up before we have to get serious with our story. Um, hey, J.D.? Yeah, Steve? Do you think Roosevelt Franklin kneels during the singing of the Grouch Anthem? Oh, I hate you, Steve. <laughs> I hate you because that's really funny. <laughs> I just thought that. It shouldn't be funny. <laughs> Shouldn't be funny. But no, for for me, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's fine. You're fine. That was uh, that was close enough to PC that we can keep that in. Um I'm I so enjoyed glad it. about that. Yeah, Chris enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it too. Yes. Um having fun, Chris. You having fun. Okay. Watches good. watches <laughs> it takes like another year before he finally gets caught up on our podcast and he's like <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? The, you were talking to me? Oh yeah. Of course, oh, what we here's what we don't want to happen is for him to start telling people in my favorite podcast they're specifically sending messages to me. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. because then that'll cause a real problem for him. So Chris, don't do that. Don't tell people that you hear your name in this podcast, or else we have to do uh... one for every person in the audience. <laughs> Then we're just sending every person in our audience to the psych hospital. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's not fair. I mean, they probably belong there if there are listeners, if, but if it's they're still, still not listening, fair. they certainly belong there. If if they're still you yes. Hence, Chris, this show is just for you. Yes. Maybe you deserve yes. what's coming to you if mm-hmm. you're still here. But no, they uh I, I I when I see the opening of uh Follow That Bird, I'm reminded of the alternate ending to a film from is it the same year? I think maybe it's one year later. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. In the alternate ending, they have that scene where you see the big American flag take up pretty much the whole screen. Oh, and then the three okay, girls yeah. rise up on the stage. And so I would really enjoy hearing Oscar in that opening scene start to sing about the plants destroying the world. Um, I think that... Or maybe Follow That Bird actually takes place in the post-apocalyptic world after... The plants have already destroyed the city, um, which is why Sesame Street looks so dirty, because it was built on the remains of the city destroyed by Audrey, too. So all the Frank Oz possible. productions connect. 
It's it's a cinematic universe, man. The Frank um, Ozverse. The Frank Ozverse. Yes. Um, that's stupid, but we're keeping it in. We are keeping it in. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no. It's uh, follow that bird is a really By great the way, place. To, it just has to be said because we have to say it. This is the dumbest thing we've ever done. Uh, I think we've done worse. Um, we've done worse. But okay, we'll but this see. is a this 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 ranks up there. Eh, I guess. I mean, we're, we're we're keeping it, but it ranks up there. Follow That Bird is a great example of all of the lousy 80s movie cliches that got, like, you got really tired of them, and you're never quite sure whether Follow That Bird is knowingly parodying them or if it just is the embodiment of the 80s cliches. Mm, Like, obviously, there has to be the scene where they go to, for all intents and purposes, the cantina, but it's, it's the Grouch restaurant where they serve the Grouch food. It's the same idea. There's always that scene where they got to go to the rough and tough, but like Pee Wee's Great Adventure, right? Yep, they got to go to yep, the rough yep. and tough bar. That's right. Uh, somewhere around, you know, page 35 of the script every time. It's the rule. Right. And, right. Uh, and then, of course, oh, yes, my favorite 80s cliche is, um, oh, boy, we need to get lost. Someone's after us. How do we go somewhere where we won't be seen? And there's a parade. No matter what day it is, oh, yeah. no matter what time of year it is, yeah. it's like, hey, we can yeah. get lost yeah. in the parade. And Big Bird gets lost in the parade and ends up part of the parade. It, it kind of shows up the in The largest character in the movie gets lost in a parade, yes. Right. Yes. Like, he wouldn't be noticeable there. And then there's That's this good. horrible That's moment good. when he and Miss Finch are, like, a few feet apart, but there's, you know, a trombone player between them. So they're all, like, eh, eh, and go, you know, one's going left and the other's going right. And it's like, in this moment, your job is done, Miss Finch. <laughs> How in the world are you so inept? Like she's the most inept villain in movie history. I cannot stand well, her. Well, you she try can't running around inside of a giant bird costume. See how easy it is. Oh, there's a twist. Miss yeah. Finch, not really a bird. She's been in a bird costume the whole time. My favorite '80s cliche is that Chevy Chase has to be in the movie. Yes, like, that is a very as, it, good as with all '80s movies, he is in this one too. So, I really, in- I don't think it's an '80s cliche. But I really enjoy the fact that every adult character in the movie, or every other adult character in the movie, was assigned a black child to be their buddy. <laughs> I think... <laughs> now, that part we might not keep in the final show, but really... Oh, we have to. Oh, no, that's, that's mean, staying in. Bob <laughs> has one. Let's see. Most notably, um, John Candy. John Candy yeah. gets his own... Little yeah. guy who who rides with him in in the in the motorcycle, <laughs> like John Candy as the police officer pulls up to the window and then lifts the child into the window to be like, is this the guy? And then the kid nods and then John Candy drops him back out of the window. <laughs> it's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh uh, man, it's so dumb, oh, but it's so good. I like That's... how Sesame Street does have you know. They have a very diverse cast in this one. It's just, uh, and lots of children everywhere. Well, yeah. It's a very child-heavy movie. It works. Yeah, I mean, it's... sort of the, the whole movie is all, you know, uh, an anthem for diversity, which I think works well. And it's, you know, it's sort of ageless and timeless. Um, oh, yeah. A- at least until we're finally living under a Nazi regime, at which point it will no longer be ageless or timeless, but will be from a bygone era when people believed in, you know, ethics and stuff. Sure, um, sure, but that's sure. you know we might still have a, a couple months before we get to that point, right? I well, think we're the, okay. 
This movie is a nice reminder of the days when Sesame Street was a show. It's very nice. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. I, I do think that this is Sesame Street's best look in terms of the exterior sets. Yes. Like, the, the stoop looks so good. It looks like it's a real city. It just, like, the street looks essentially the same, but for once you actually believe it's in New York City. Yeah. You believe you could turn yeah. around a corner and just find Sesame Street there. And there's so much life and activity. There are just characters in every little part of the frame, up in all the windows. It's beautiful. Then you get to the interiors, and Ernie and Bert live in this creepy little apartment with this hideous picture of them on the wall. Oh, my gosh, And it's like, yeah. who designed that? Who is responsible for the interiors in this movie? And the Count lives in a weird castle and it's yeah the interiors not so good but the exterior sesame street set in this movie for me is the best it's ever been it's fantastic they should destroy the set they have now and go back to this exact set well they should do that you get no argument from me on that uh but there is a sesame street movie uh, coming out at some point Mm -hmm. i don't know when i don't know how but it is going to happen so do you think that they're going to do the same kind of treatment to the sets in this movie where they'll change them around, make them a little more gritty, more realistic. Do you, how, how do you think that they might change things in this new movie? I if think if, that they've, I think that they've screwed themselves over here. They've really shot themselves in the foot and I don't think they realize it because they have made so? it now. They, they have definitely made it such that there is no easy way to transition from the way the set looks on the show now and the way it would have to look if we're supposed to believe it's an actual place in New York, which is the premise of the film, right? The yeah, whole premise yeah. of the, the new movie, supposedly, from what we hear from rumors and stuff, is how do we get to Sesame Street? How do you actually get there? And so well, you like, have to It's like believe... every children's franchise, right? It's like this with Smurfs. It's like with the Fraggle Rock movie that never got made. It's, but this time, they're in New York City. Uh-oh! Yeah, I know. And it's lame. And... Yeah. I want to hit someone over the head. I want to hit many people over the head for letting it get to the point that we are getting the Smurfs movie, but Sesame Street, especially because you can't do this time. They're in New York City with characters who already live in New York City, dummies. Right, right. But and so that's why with Follow That Bird, which sort of is the template for this kind of film, it unfortunately is what begat the Smurfs movie. Um, what they did with Follow That Bird was they said, have them see the countryside. Have them see the other parts of America. Let's show these characters in the rest of the real world. And there it works. There you're seeing Big Bird in situations where you wouldn't get to see him on Sesame Street. And it works very well. Um, and and you get to see him sing country songs with Wailing uh, uh, I was going to say, Jennings, Jennings that song is, that, that's my fa- for some reason, that's my favorite part of the movie. There ain't it's, no road too long. It's a Actually, really wait, good highlight. That is really film. good, um, but almost, almost as good is Bert and Ernie in Upside Down World. See, and I didn't get that scene. I didn't see oh, why it was there. Oh, that's that's so funny. Well, just I mean, it, it's good Bert and Ernie stuff. Where Bert's, I mean, Ernie's antagonizing Bert. Okay, saying, Go let's on, talk about fun, this. Bert, you know. Okay, let's, let's talk, talk about this. this. I'm glad this we is... finally got around to talking about Muppets in this show. I know, but this is something that's really been bothering me because I, I was thinking about this this morning when I was okay. walking the dog. All this right. is, for the most part, the classic. What kind of dog do you have? Uh, why do you care? I'm just Chris wanted to know. Oh, uh, hi, Chris. Uh, this is a message that's just for you. 
Uh, I have a black lab, but it, it's really the family's dog more than it is mine. Uh, but there's a little bit of a pointer in her that gives her a different kind of look. Um, oh, nice. She, she's yeah, a nice okay. puppy. You've met the dog, Steve. <laughs> You've met this dog. You spent plenty of time petting this dog. I did. I did. It's a real sweetie. Anyway. Anyway. But this really, this really has been on my mind a lot. For the most part, it's the classic Bert and Ernie structure, right? What happens? So, basically, Ernie is doing something that's really irresponsible and fun and playful, but awful and wacky and we- weird and silly. And Bert comes in like, meh, I don't like it. Stop being so silly and weird. Um, and then, of course, as they sing the song... Ernie kind of gradually gets Bert more and more into it and more and more into it and kind of gets, you know, somewhere around two-thirds of the way through the song, Bert comes around and he's like, hey, yeah, I like this. I enjoy this. I am experiencing happiness now for the first time in a long time. And then that's when Ernie comes in and says, well, time to shut this down. And every time, reliably, right as it starts to become enjoyable for Bert, Ernie demonstrates that he is going to hell. Because he is always a jerk to Bert and shuts him down every time. He's not time. a jerk to Bert. Come on. Ernie is a jerk, okay? <laughs> Ernie makes Bert miserable by doing something Bert doesn't like, makes Bert like it, and then makes Bert miserable for liking it. He ruins every experience, whether Bert likes it or dislikes it. Ernie makes it miserable both ways. Ernie is a jerk. He is a bad person. Ernie is going to hell. But anyway, that's a little bit like you and me. Yes, you are going to hell, Steve. I Um, am, yes. But I I do think that why it doesn't work as well in this particular scene is that the change just happens. Like, suddenly, without any explanation. Okay, that's true. There isn't a whole lot of... a flip switch. There's no build-up. It's just Bert's like, no, Ernie, Ernie, no, what are you doing? Hey, I'm having a good time. And then Ernie is... (laughs) It just... There's just nothing in between, um, except for the off-camera part where they switch places in the plane, which is lazy and weird, and I don't like it. No, that's funny. Um, Come on, that's funny. I don't know. It's... uh, Anyway... Um, it was particularly frustrating here is that there are actual stakes here. Ernie is out there trying to find a lost six-year-old child, and he says, whoa, 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 I know we're really close to having him and saving this poor six-year-old child's life, but first, let's be mean to Bert. And then afterwards, well, once he's been a... Right, once he's he's been a jerk to Bert, then he's like, okay, now we can... up." Uh, the poor innocent six-year-old child is gone. Oh, well, guess we'll have to keep looking for him. And that is why Ernie is going to hell, and you are hmm. too, Steve. That hmm. is what makes him a bad person. He you make puts a strong case. the delight of making someone else miserable over the needs of a six-year-old child, and I think that's wrong. Um, but yeah, so I don't really care for that part of the film. It has nothing to do with the plot. It doesn't advance anything. This movie has very little plot. I was disappointed by the writing, actually. It's all over the place. It's just all over the place. How much plot place. do you want? It's for children. It's for... Uh, That's a, a poor Sesame excuse. Street okay, this is for a Sesame Street audience that is different from today's Sesame Street audience. Today's Sesame... I don't even know what age they're writing for anymore. I don't even know what they're doing. But for the Sesame Street... The, go ahead. It was a bad joke. Never mind. Okay. For, for today's... I mean, for, for the Sesame Street audience of the 80s, they were writing for, you know, six to eight-year-olds um, and maybe a little bit older. Uh, five or that... six-year-olds. Okay, but still. Uh, you know, it's I, I think 
the writing works, the humor works, the songs definitely worked. True. Uh, I, I I see very little wrong with uh, with how they're doing this versus today's Sesame Street, in which, in fact, they're doing everything wrong. Okay. Did you see uh, how Sesame Street came under fire for in a PSA providing links to a bad autism resource website that has been pretty much, you know, disavowed by the, I don't want to say the autism community, but for lack of a better word, yeah. I like people who actually research no. people who actually research this stuff and care about this stuff and try to provide resources for parents on this matter. We're like, Sesame Street, what have you done? Why would you provide links to that service? Um, Is this about I Son just, of the Penguin? What? No. No, that's a different show. That's a different show. Oh, this is about Julia. Okay. Oh, oh, Julia. Oh, oh, okay, yes. Different new girl character. Different right, new girl character. Right, 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 okay. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I really just wanted the headlines to say, shocker, Sesame Street out of touch with audience. Oh, that'd be so great. It would have been really nice. I think wouldn't it would have f- been really appropriate. Because Sesame Street... I, I... Here's the thing. I really, really like that Sesame Street has a long history of really, really caring about uh, diversity and acceptance and uh, basically all the stuff that you do see and follow that bird. Absolutely. Just that, Absolutely. that message of it takes all kinds. Yes. And the way that they always try to include more characters who showcase more of the human experience uh, is good. I think that it's a really great thing. Yes. But the way that it so often manifests itself now is just Sesame Street coming across, mostly because of who's running the place, I think, and who we know is running the place, and because we know that their background is largely corporate, um, and it's not the same people making the show who it used to be, it really feels like Sesame Workshop is always like, you know, it's the guy coming in, How do you do, fellow kids? I, too, enjoy being woke. Let's go have some feminism. And they really think everyone's going to respond to that. Like, yeah, all right, you're one of us. You get it. You're with it. You're with you're with the people, and it's pathetic. It comes across as as not necessarily fake, but just it does come across as fake. It comes across as pandering. Yeah, pandering. Um, That's the thing. It comes across as, as pandering, and people is, can tell when they're having their heads patted. Well, y- yes, I, and, and this next part doesn't need a whole lot of commentary, I don't think. But what I think is fascinating and and actually honestly entertaining is that. You and I come to the exact same conclusion about that, but we come at it from different sides of the ideological aisle, I would dare say. But a we still see bit, the same yeah. but we still see what what's great is we still see the same thing happening. We both can recognize that that's a problem, honestly. Yeah. I, I think they have to really rethink their branding and stuff. Um and just be pay more attention and make sure slip ups like this don't happen. I mean I mean, really, all that I usually see from Sesame Street is them keeping in line with that same message that we talked about in Follow That Bird uh, that uh, I think is really good and really strong um, and that I think does resonate with kids and also keeping in line with just where they started in season one. You know, the very fact that this show had uh, the diverse cast that it had in season one was controversial. That was the kind of thing that I think it nearly True. got banned in a southern state or two, right? Like there were at least concerns. There were at least concerns about that. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, you know, too ethical for people in 1969. 
And so I, I do believe that Sesame's on the right course. I do believe that Julia is a good idea and serves an important purpose. I think it remains to be seen just how strong of a character she is, but I do think that her family as a whole, um, as much as we've seen of it on the show, which I don't know is that much, but we've seen some, it does add an interesting dynamic to the show that is uh, fresh and new, not quite like anything we've seen on Sesame Street before, but also not quite like anything we've seen on another show before. So for now, I think it works, and I'm kind of willing to say, let's let's continue with this and see where it goes. Yeah, Julia adds another element that's good, um, and I don't uh, as from I just want to make it clear that from where I stand, she is not the problem. Uh, no, I think that no. she's she's good and she's helpful, but the way that Sesame Street really thinks it knows what its audience wants and really panders and really pats you on the head and says, it's okay, I'm like you, I know what you want, I know how to preach to you, um, and doesn't seem to respect its audience's intelligence as much as it used to, that's a problem. Definitely agree with that. The way that it thinks that with its audience, it doesn't necessarily have to be all that smart um, and doesn't have to be all that invested in the audience or the audience's intelligence, but just has to push the right buttons and put on the right faces and say the right words. Um, That, I think, uh, takes away a lot of the humanity from the show. And it's not good. And it's why Sesame Street has been struggling. Well, it's never going to be what it was. I mean, there. I saw an article on one of the fan sites recently that pointed to uh, one of the later seasons of the series in the 1990s and says this, as it happens, is the last season of Sesame Street. Now, you might be saying to yourself, wait a minute, isn't Sesame Street on today? Well, yes, but that's a different Sesame Street. This is the mm. last season of the original Sesame Street. Um, and then points out how much changes just over that period of time. And of course, it's all facetious. Um, and I'm not naming any names in part because I have a terrible memory, but also in part because, you know, I don't want to get other people in trouble with Sesame Workshop when I'm already kind of taking a lot of the heat myself right now. Um, and I'd rather I'd be the one that fingers are pointed at here if I ruffle any bird feathers. Ah. Yeah. But really, I, I, I do think that there is this sense that Sesame Street, once it got to a certain point and once they had a lot more competition in the market... They kept changing their identity and trying to change themselves and change themselves and change themselves. And they seem to think if they change themselves enough, then eventually they'll be as popular as they once were. Um, But it ain't working. The fact that they had to go to HBO is the proof in the pudding that it ain't working. Yeah. The fact that they got that desperate. Well, we live in the age of competition now. I mean, there was no competition when Sesame Street first came on. That's not to say that they were a bad show. They weren't. They were a very good show. They just happened to also exist in a world where there were four channels. Now there's infinite channels or infinite time slots because of streaming. So you, I I, I don't know. I I think that they would uh, be more successful if they return to their roots, return to what they're good at, instead of, like you said, trying to uh, change themselves to adapt to the culture of the day, whereas they were the leader of, of a certain part of the culture when they were out. They were revolutionary. There was nothing like them. And yeah, there's a lot of copycats out there now, but they're copycats of what worked in Sesame Street. And now Sesame Street isn't doing those things anymore. And that's a real shame. I don't know. It's trying to do some of them, but we, we have to keep in mind that it's hard for Sesame Street to get back to what it was originally good at 
when it's a completely different group of people here. I mean, well, that's the other thing. It's never going to be what it was with Jim and Frank and, and company because they weren't trying to make a kid's show. This group is trying to make a woke kid's show. And it's just it's not going to work because, yes, of course, and, and by the way, we haven't mentioned this, but you had a fantastic episode with uh, with Kevin from Defunct Land that I just listened to today. And you guys have some really insightful commentary about uh, about Jim and Frank and and everyone in, in that company and, and what they were doing and what they set out to do in their methods. And, and even the fact that, yeah, Jim was pretty lucky um, in what he was doing too. He ha- he was, yes, he was extremely talented, but he was also in the right place at the right time in a few instances. And that gave him the opportunities that he had. And honestly, though, those opportunities wore off and benefited Sesame Street and you don't have a Jim Henson there anymore. So you're not going to have the same kind of show. And I don't know. There's going to come a day where Sesame Street isn't going to be on the air anymore and they're just going to be out of money or ideas or people. But maybe that day is coming and maybe they're trying to prolong it. And it's the show is suffering because of that. Yeah, this is something that I've, I've thought about a lot that I've written about a lot. I, I actually wrote and filmed a whole video about it that I just haven't gotten edited yet and might not get edited for a while. I'm kind of sitting on it and still trying to decide if this is worth putting out there and putting my name on. Um, I think you should. We've talked about this. I think you should do it. And I think I probably will at some point once the I time know it's going right. to be a lot of work, and I know you don't yeah. necessarily, you're not looking forward to that, but I think it's going to be, I, I think it would make a real contribution. Hopefully so. Yeah. Um, hopefully so. Let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we wanted to talk about. We've gone for an hour and a half. Yeah. We can so start wrapping that's... it up now. The one last thing I will say is that did you see since uh, again it's been so long since you and I were on mic and so long since I've really been on mic to talk about anything except for my yeah. recent interview with Kevin Perjurer uh, did you see the trailer the full trailer for the upcoming Dark Crystal show Yeah I've seen uh, so Netflix has like a, te- a couple teasers and a behind the scenes or something I've I've watched all three of them um, uh, yeah See my problem is when I watch the full trailer for the new show, I look at that thinking, darn it, that actually looks good. Okay. here It looks interesting, but it's the Dark Crystal. It doesn't look good to me because I know what it's going to be. All right? I know that these characters, they even, the, the voice actors, who are very talented, they got a great cast to do this they new did. project. They did. They, they really did. They got some of the absolute best of the best. And congratulations to them for doing that. But... Those voice actors are so talented that they're doing the voices just as blandly and devoid of emotion as the original characters. So I don't know that this is going to be better. And I'm really, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I don't really give a shit because I'm not going to watch it if it's not any good. But still, it's like you you had all this time, all this resource, all this legacy, all this history, and you still couldn't make this work. I don't that know. says for, something about you as a production company now. From what I'm seeing, it looks like this one's actually going to have a decent plot, some def- decent characters, and somewhere to go with the story. And I think it's going to be halfway entertaining. Uh, we looked so forward to Happy Time Murders for so long, JD. I'm not sure we did. How many times? Okay, I'm just going to be. I'm going to be the negative side of this. Okay. Okay. How many times do we have to go through this with Henson now before we understand? That it's just different now. I, I I liked the Julie Andrews show. 
the Julie Andrews show. Oh, the the you know, no, that's uh, <laughs> you're talking about the really old. You're not talking about Julia's green room, are you? Yeah, yeah, Julie's green room. That one. For okay, Netflix. you like that? Okay, all right, all right. So that was that. I, and you know what? I didn't watch that. So okay, I'll give you that. Uh, let's talk about Christine McConnell. All right. Well, I don't know that I was ever totally looking forward to that. No, but it came out, and it was it was much lauded by some of the 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 Muppet community, and it just wasn't good. It was bad, right? Yeah, it was, it was bad. bad. It was it bad. Was pretty bad. Uh, we were told about uh, Happy Time Murders for many many years, and JD, you and I got to see some things that made us hopeful for at, at one point in time, and then the movie came out, and it's like, oh god, it just it wasn't good, right? I think by the time we saw the trailer, we were like, crap, we're, we're in for... Uh, what we saw didn't exist great. in the trailer that we saw, right? The earlier stuff. What do you mean? Um, I, the, no, the, the main trailer that they released made it look like garbage, made it look worse than it was. No, no, no. And, and Oh, you're talking I'm, about the... Yeah, that's right. They did... Yeah, I do remember that there was a, a teaser trailer before that that they'd shot many years ago that had right, 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 uh, Brian exactly. Henson's wife in it where they were kind of showing off some of the effects. That was on YouTube for a while as an official teaser trailer through some trailer company on YouTube and then it got pulled for whatever reason. Right, right, right. But I, I'm just saying like there, there's so many things that we keep talking about. Oh, this or that thing is coming up from Henson. It's from Henson. It's going to be so great. And I don't all... think we do that. I think well, that's a false narrative that you tell yourself. I no, I get, I still get my hopes up because there's maybe a little part of me that still wants to believe. And I am just, I, I know that Jim's not around anymore. So these projects aren't going to be what they were, but there are all these other people who still knew and worked with Jim. And it's like, why, why are so many of these projects, why do they just not live up? And maybe it's because as a fan, my expectations are set very high. Maybe the bar was set very high. Um, maybe they're just not well written. I mean, there's things that show up on, you know, the the cable movie of the week that were made by Jim Henson that we get all excited about, but then we see and it's like, it's, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm an old man, JD, and I've seen a lot in my life. And I just, I'm starting to get to the point where maybe, uh, all this stuff with Henson is they're, they're just kind of riding on, you know, what they used to do. And if they want to do that, that's fine. But to me, it just seems like that's what the Jim Henson company has become. All right. I mean, my chair's squeaking again. All right. I mean, that's it's okay. Fine, my hip's squeaking, but, um, I don't know. All I can say is, I'm trying to look at this this show as its own thing since I think it has some slightly different people behind it and it has slightly different origins from the Happy Time Murders. And also there is, I think, some amount of quality control from Netflix, um, which, you know, sort of requires that this actually be good to some extent, I think. Like, I, obviously there are some bad Netflix originals out there because they just throw money at everything. But, you know, for the most part, Given the amount of money they would have to throw at this, uh, when they know it's for such a little niche audience, I think they know it kind of has to be really solid. And uh, honestly, I just don't think that the Dark Crystal is so far gone that it'll be, you know, that, that someone who's trying to make a good story out of it is going to utterly fail. 
Like think the crystal can be reunited. <laughs> yes, sure. You can you can heal the crystal. The crystal can be can, healed. Yes, you can heal the crystal. All right, I like but it. But no, I, I I just I think that when you really look at the dark crystal as a movie, most of the stuff that's supposed to be in a movie is there. I mean, it it hits the right beats at the right time. It's got the strong opening image. It's got the let's see, just most of the stuff that you have in your save the cat beat sheet. If you're familiar with that from, you know, the screenwriting world. Most no, of that what, stuff what is what is that? Hold on. What What is the Save the Cat beat sheet? There's a book called Save the Cat that for many years now has been pretty much the definitive book on screenwriting, particularly for young screenwriters. Really? There I, were, some, I, others, there were okay. some other important books in screenwriting that came before it that some people still cite as the big ones. But most people just go to Save the Cat because it kind of lays out, you know, okay, here is here are the different kinds of movies that there are. You think that movies are organized by genres. Actually, here are different categories of stories the vast majority of movies that you're going to see are going to be one of these kinds of uh, stories. Um, and you're going to want your film to follow the rules of that story. If you don't follow the rules of that story, you're going to look like an idiot. Also, you're going to want to have your movie to have these things. They should be timed out this way so that you should have this action take place on this page. This takes place on this page, etc. So that it actually just lays out the whole formula for just making a Hollywood movie. Yeah, here it is, Blake in, Snyder's in famous Save the Cat beat sheet template. Okay, cool. Um, but, um, and you kind of have to read the book a little bit to understand what each of the things on the beat sheet means. Some of them are self-explanatory, some of them not. But but once you, I, I'm still going through the book myself for my first time, but for the most part, I'm like, yeah, a lot of this is stuff I recognize, things I've heard around before in the community, stuff I've seen other screenwriters say is really important. Um, some of it's new in that I haven't really heard it laid out explicitly before, but when you actually look at the movies that you watch, you immediately recognize these parts of a movie and how they make the, the film work. And I'd say that for the most part, The Dark Crystal isn't that far gone. I mean, it has a a pretty clear quest. You understand why the quest matters. It's broken up appropriately with a pretty clear Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, in which everything's very, very comfortable for our protagonist at the start of the movie. And then you're going to throw him into a space where he's totally uncomfortable and everything's foreign and he doesn't know what to do. Um, before finally, Act 3, everything ends up at the castle, which is the darkest, most foreign and scary part of all of it. And you can recognize other parts of the template, like the podlings as fun and games, uh, Kira's appearance as the start of the B-plot, which comes at just the right time right after Act 2 has gotten started. And you've, I don't know that this comes up in this book in particular, but of course you've got the ticking clock with the suns coming together. So most of the stuff that you want to be in a good story or screenplay is actually there in The Dark Crystal. Um, it's just that you just don't care about the characters. And so okay, yeah. really, I think now we've learned a lot about screenwriting since uh, the time of The Dark Crystal. I know how that sounds, but we've gotten better at formulas. Like the 90s really hammered in formulas and character types and story arcs and all that stuff for better or worse such that something like even follow that bird with how loose it is with its narrative would not fly today um probably oh, no, for the better because no. it is a little bit too loose with its narrative i think and it hurts the film still a, a solid you know four out of five stars for follow that bird it's good but you know it's it's pretty loose it's like you're following the plot and then you're not and now big bird's on a farm and we don't know why but there's a really great song in this part so we're gonna enjoy it Whereas, and, and I think Dark Crystal feels kind of similar, where it's like, well, we did one fun thing that's weird and looks neat, so now it's time for another thing. 
But now we don't really do that anymore. There are too many rules. There are too many people who are judging your script and saying, nope, this doesn't work, rewrite it, because it doesn't follow the rules. And so now, I think, uh, even with a TV show, even though it's not a movie and doesn't have quite as strict of a rule set, there, there, there are going to be a lot of people looking over a lot of shoulders making sure that it works, making sure that the characters work and have a reason to be the way they are, and the story has the right pace, and it's focused on the right things. So, I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to be great, but I think it's not going to be any worse than The Dark Crystal, and it looks like it's going to have a lot of the good qualities of The Dark Crystal, so I think I'm going to be content with it. I don't think it's going to be my new favorite thing, but I think I'm going to be content with it. I like it. I think it's okay. a good note to go out on. Yeah, sure. It's been about a minute for been about an hour and forty five, and it is so late, and I am falling asleep as I speak, as you can probably tell. We're get, we're getting near Joe Rogan links. I feel I, I feel like I should ask you if you've ever tried DMT, but <laughs> uh, no, um, no, I'm just. Am I slurring because I'm so drowsy right now? It is so late at night over here on this coast. Well, you're not slurring because you're drowsy. You are slurring because you're drunk, but that's different. You lush. No, I'm not drunk. I'm I'm not drunk. I am. That's I would have to. Say. I would have say. to be furry and red to be drunk. <laughs> all right. I would have to be Elmo to be drunk. However, oh God, I might be there. High Big Bird. You don't know. Oh no. All right. Well, on I that miss note, drunk Elmo and High Big Bird. We should see them again sometime. Uh, oh, I hope not. All right. Well, I don't know if we're going to do exactly this again, but we are going to be back on Mike again soon, I'm sure. Maybe we'll pull in so. uh, Jared and CW and do some more fun stuff soon. I hope so. We'll see. It's it's about timing. It's it's all about the timing, and right now, whew, timing is. for me is up in the air. But we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can put together. Right. Chris, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, You're, Chris. Um, um, so, Chris, you can leave us a comment below <laughs> if you if you enjoyed what you heard. Uh, Chris, you can like this. You can share it with your friends. You um, can email me, me at MuppetCast.com with any uh, comments or feedback from this episode from my side, or if you just want to talk about JD with me, we can certainly do that over email. You can email me, me at MuppetHub.com, or Chris, I think you might have my personal email address. It all ends up in the same inbox, I think. Um, and Chris, I'm pretty sure you already uh, gave the show a rating in iTunes. Um, I'm pretty sure you already did that. Give it a little rating and review, so I don't need to remind you to do that favor for me. I mean, I'm sure you're already subscribed, so I think you're good there, Chris. You're uh, you're good to go. Um, you know, say hi to the family. Right, right, all right. Well, JD, this has been fun. Yep. So I, I think all that's left to say is thank you, Chris, and good night. Yes, have a good one, Chris. Until next time, I'm JD Hansel, and I'm the marvelous Mrs. Hansel. You like that? I like that. that? It's good. Yes. Okay. It's good. Uh, Should that just be our standard one every time from here on out? I don't change it. I just keep using I'm the Marvelous Mrs. Hansel. No, you have to do a different one every time. Why would you not do a different one every time? I don't know. You're young and creative and (laughs) nimble-minded. Yes, I'm so nimble-minded. I, for one, can keep up with Gilmore Girls. Oh, God. It's the worst show ever. (laughs) It's so similar to uh, to, to no, it's Mrs. Not. Maisel Mrs. in terms Maisel of style and funny. pace and tone. Mrs. Maisel is funny. Gilmore Girls is not. It's a very similar sense of humor. I um, don't think so at all. 
All right, fine. But yes, Mrs. Maisel is a little funnier. It has a very good sense of humor and such a good cast. It really oh does. Yeah. I just love the guy from the Monk. actors in this show. The um, guy from Monk. Oh, oh he's, God, so, he's good. so good. <laughs> he's my favorite. <laughs> yes. He's my favorite. He's oh, so man. good that yeah. I actually started watching Monk because of him before oh, I realized wow. it was a bad show. Oh, that's too bad. That's unfortunate. Oh, I know. I got a few episodes in, too, before I'm like... Oh man, this is a bad show, and it's a shame because he's still really good in it. Yeah, like yeah. I just want to watch because he's a good actor. This writing yeah. is garbage, but he's such oh, a good gosh. actor. I want to keep watching. Now I'm just gonna have to go watch him in Galaxy Quest because I'm all out of episodes of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, yeah, and you know <sighs> I don't, I don't think they should make a season three. I don't. I think they told the story. Really, I know. I know they're going to make it a season three, but I right. I really don't it's like when they the do works. that. Like they they have, you know, I don't think they should make a season four of Stranger Things. I think you've told the story. Now you're going to continue writing it because that show is a cash machine, and I understand that. But your characters are going to suffer, the story's going to suffer, and ultimately the show's going to suffer because it you you stack up too many bad episodes of a show, that whole show just becomes bad in people's minds, even though they had some really good seasons. You know what I mean? You know. I think that you just I, I I don't like it when the creators stop a show before they're ready to. I really like it when they take the time to say, "Okay, we've gone pretty far with it. Now let's make the wrap-up season where we tie together all the loose ends." What you don't want is for a, another last season, whether they excuse me, whether they plan for it to be the last season or not, when they say, "All right, time to introduce new elements." Like, no, 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 no. This is your last one. It's your well, that's job. That's what I thought they did with, bring with Stranger Things. Conclusion. Like the the kids moved away, right? Like the the mom and I her kids moved like away. I don't feel like that ties up loose elements. I feel like that leaves the entire show feeling disjointed. Like to no. me, the whole thing feels broken right now, and it feels like everything needs to get put back together again. And I think season four needs to be their wrap up, where everything achieves homeostasis and normality, and everything's right by the end of it. It's not gonna be. They're gonna. They have a five season plan. Apparently, was what no. they set out to do. But at least they do have a season in mind as the wrap-up season, okay, which well I think that's, is important. Yeah, that's good. Having one, having one season where you're like, okay, this is the one where we just tie up any loose ends. That, yeah. I think, is helpful. Um, not all shows get to have that, but I think it's a good thing. Uh, what was the show I was thinking of? Where it really was not done well at all was House of Cards. And obviously there were oh, circumstances no, preventing that from being yeah. done well. That's the weird thing is that that last season came out. And no one talked about it. Like, the internet was, just wasn't interested in it. It wasn't what it was. I mean, I mean, no one really likes him, I guess, anymore. But Kevin Spacey did make that show. It wasn't did, about indeed. Robin Wright. It was it about was Kevin Spacey. Indeed. Um, and, I don't know, I, there's still a part of me that feels like they could have done it well. But the show really, that last season, they could have found some way to do that last season well, even without Spacey. Like, the way that they were making him sort of a ghostly presence who was still sort of involved overseeing things beyond the from beyond the grave, yeah. kind of works for the show. Like, they were okay there. The problem was they start introducing all these new characters and new storylines and new elements that aren't going to have time to go anywhere, for one thing, because it's the last few episodes by the time they're introduced, and B, this is supposed to be the wrap-up. All yeah. that we want... Yeah right now is for all the stuff that we know to come to a satisfying end. The show is called House of Cards. That's all you need to know about what the wrap-up is supposed to be. It's all right there in the title. What is a House of Cards? It's a house that's flimsy 
made out of cards that's eventually going to fall down. And Mm -hmm. every season, it gets flimsier and flimsier and flimsier as they keep building and building and building. And Kevin Spacey's character just got more and more careless, right? Like, he used to be very, very crafty about how he planned his murders so he wouldn't get caught. And then it gets to the point where he's just like, you know what? I'm going to push this lady down the stairs right now. Oh and my she's going to know yeah. what happened. And anyone could easily know what happened. This is careless and it's lazy. But that's what I'm doing now because I think I can do anything. I'm convinced I'm invincible because so yep. far everything keeps working. And it's like, this is that's the setup. That's how you set it up so that then la- that last season, everybody comes back. And even if it isn't for the Zoe Barnes thing that they spent a lot of time lingering on, uh, yeah. something that he did should lead to everything getting exposed and the whole thing tumbling down and everything collapsing. A show called House of Cards is supposed to end in the house that is built collapsing mm-hmm. in that last episode. And the whole last season needs to be about how that collapse finally happens. And if it's unexpected and out of the blue, instead of the more obvious, you know, hey, that Zoe Barnes thing that we've been working on season after season after season suddenly paid off. Hmm. No, find something creative, bring back some of the characters that left DC in one of the earlier seasons just to get away from these guys, bring them all back, make it all the characters we've seen before coming together and making the cards fall, even if they have to fall in front of Robin Wright instead of falling in front of Kevin Spacey. You know, at least it would be stronger than what they did, yeah, which was exactly. worthless. That it last was, season is useless. Uh, it really there, is. There's no point in watching it. It's like they just had to be. They just had to get done with it. They just had to get the show off their slate, and so they did. Which it. and and look, uh, if that's all they wanted to do, they could have done it in one episode and been fine. But no, instead uh, no. they're like, you know what, people are going to want for a new season. Totally new storyline with totally new characters. This this guy's the new Kevin Spacey for this season. Mm-hmm. No, he isn't. He's a great actor, but he's not. You're not replacing anything. You're not fixing anything. Just let the show die. Right. Yeah. <sighs> oh well. Anyway, it's too late. I got to go to sleep. I got to yeah, be driving yeah. my brother early tomorrow morning to his job oh, down in right. Aberdeen. So. Sounds good, man. I'll send this you my has audio. Been fun. All right. Talk to you soon, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, uh, this is future JD again. And uh, after editing that conversation, I was sort of on the fence about whether or not I was going to record this, but I felt like it was a good idea in the end. There was a conversation that I had there with Steve uh, about weight loss that I, I just felt like it didn't go quite the way I wanted it to go. It didn't end quite the way I wanted it to end. And obviously, I I could do this with a lot of conversations that I have with Steve because he and I have very different opinions on things, which works great when we're just talking about Muppets, not so great when we're talking about other things. I mean, if he says the word wokeness one more time, I will reach through the computer screen and slap him. But that is neither here nor there. As for the weight loss conversation, I just, I get really frustrated when people assign a moral weight, no pun intended, to losing weight, as though it's it's the right thing to do, which has the implication that, you know, when you get heavy and you're not trying to lose weight, that's not the right thing to do, and I don't think that's a fair implication. It's, it's implied by things like telling people that they've done good work because they've lost weight, and 
Some people want to hear that. Some people want that encouragement because they are trying to do something that is indeed difficult. And they want to hear good work and keep it up and that sort of thing. But I do think that we have to be careful to contextualize that so that it isn't saying that it is somehow one's obligation to be thin or to be light. Neither of those really is an obligation. I mean, when you're dealing with uh, <laughs> and any number of things that come up in life, any number of important responsibilities uh, or uh, mental health issues or just trying to manage your emotions and manage your stress, then you might decide that it's a good move to try to get healthier in that situation. But you could just as easily say that you have bigger fish to fry, and that is not the wrong call to make. For a long time there, I simply had other things that I needed to focus on in regards to my health that took precedence over how much I weighed. And I was not necessarily wrong to put my weight on the back burner. There are many situations in life in which you can do that, and you can put other aspects of your health on the back burner, and that's fine. You do what you gotta do. Furthermore, uh, if you're heavy and you're content being heavy, then that's fine. I don't really see an issue there. I, I think that the notion that you have to try to be as physically fit as possible for as much of your life as possible uh, in the hopes that it will extend your lifetime, I think it kind of misses the point of, quite frankly, living, right? The whole point of being alive is not to have as many days or even as many years as possible in your lifespan, all right? That's just not the point. There's no goal of passing 100 years old. Why in the world would you want to live past 100 years old? Why would you do that to yourself? That's ridiculous. You don't need that many years. Okay, you can live a perfectly fine and fulfilling life in 80 years, or perhaps even less than that, as long as you're filling your life with doing the things that you want to do and living the way that you want to live. As for me, for the most part, I want my life to be filled with eating donuts. And I understand that that comes with some set of health risks. And at the moment, I'm in a particularly good space to try to mitigate some of the danger there. But eventually I do plan on getting back to eating a fair share of donuts, and that's fine. That's a perfectly acceptable way to live if that's what's going to give you the most satisfying life. In my case, I wanted to try losing some weight and cutting some sugar and seeing if a more healthy lifestyle would be more beneficial for my mood, uh, for helping me manage anxiety and that kind of thing. And in my case so far, it really hasn't done much. It, it, it really just generally has not helped with uh, giving me more energy, making me think clearly, all the stuff that being healthier is supposed to do. I have not seen those effects yet, and I'm, you know, well over a month into the dieting part of it and several months into the exercising part of it, it has yet to really benefit me much. I've lost now over 20 pounds through this process, particularly just since the dieting, um, but has it been worth it to me? I don't know. For economic reasons, yeah, I'll fit into my pants longer. I've got old shirts that I can wear again, 
So it's nice not having to buy a bunch of new clothing. That, that makes some economic sense. And just the fact that I have less appetite now, so I'm not eating quite as much, that also makes some economic sense. But in terms of how it's really benefiting me or improving my quality of life, so far it really hasn't done that much, so I don't know yet whether or not I'm going to keep it up. And darn it, it's nobody else's business. Because it's my life. And however I'm content living, or however I'm content looking, that's going to have to be fine for everyone, and there's nothing wrong with it. Okay? It's okay. Because I'm doing what I want and making life fulfilling for me, whatever that means for me. And I think that's the point. You have to just do what's fulfilling for you. And in my case, I, I reached a point where I thought it would be a bit more fulfilling to uh, try living in a way that might give me a bit more energy since I'm so tired all the time. And is it worth it to me? I don't know. But I'll just kind of keep on chasing whatever is fulfilling for me. And I would encourage the rest of you to chase whatever is fulfilling for you. And whatever that means, I think is pretty much fine as long as you're not hurting anybody. So I guess the point of all this is have fun and don't feel the need, don't, don't feel like there's an obligation on you in any way, certainly not a moral obligation, to change the way that you look or the way that your body is built. Because, heck, the main factor in your uh, weight and body shape and all that stuff, we now know is genetics more than anything else. So you, you kind of get what you get, and it's going to be easier for some people to be skinny than it is for other people. And that's just the way it is. Again, it's luck. It's luck of the draw. So the trick, as corny as it sounds, is just to be accepting of who you are and what you have, and to live in whatever way is satisfying to you. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't let anybody give you crap about the way you look, or even about the way you feel. It's not their business. I guess that's all I have to say about that. Good night, everybody.